Hey everyone, what's going on? My name is Stephanie Graham. I'm an artist and filmmaker, and I'm also an extremely curious person. Some will go as far as to say that I am nosy as the, the nerve. <laughs> I started this podcast because I wanted to interview people. I'm not just talking to anyone either. I'm talking to people who are in the thick of what they do. I want to know how they live their life and how they get things done so that I could apply some of their savvy to my own life. I'm sharing this with you so that you too can do the same. We can do it together. We all gotta start somewhere, and if you're not looking for practical info, stick around anyway, because my guests are fascinating, and it's my goal to get to the bottom of their shh. I mean, aren't we all just a little bit curious of what it's like to live someone else's life? And if we do it the same? There are also times when I will feel called to catch up with you one-on-one and let you know about what's going on with me, either in life or with my art practice. You didn't think I'd get the dirt on all these cool people and not let you know what's going on with me, did you? I mean, I'm a Libra. We believe in balance. Listen, I am a big believer that even though we are all different, we can still find ways to relate to each other. It's time to get down to business, so welcome to the Nosy AF Podcast. Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of the Nosy AF Podcast. It is your friend Stephanie and we are back with another episode to speak to Tanika Johnson, who is a photographer and a social justice artist who lives in Chicago, here with me. (laughs) She is a lifelong resident of the Southside community, Inglewood, and she does so many really wonderful things. I was introduced to Tanika through her photography work primarily a portrait that she took that just drew me in and I don't know how we really got connected but just you know life and I've been following her work for a minute so I'm really happy that she said that she would let me talk to her and just ask her about her art practice I'm a big fan of her project map twins which she's going to talk about in our conversation and I just really want you to hear how she scaled her art practice to being the global empire that it is so i really hope that you enjoy this conversation with her she's fabulous and i hope you get something from it i just think it's really cool for artists who really just commit to their communities commit to social justice work and make it all beautiful in between you know beauty we love beauty so i'm really excited for you to talk to her thank you so much for listening to this podcast let me know what you think and see you at the back end enjoy Are you ready to get this party started? Yes. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Tanika Lewis Johnson, thank you so much for being on this recording of the Nosy AF podcast. So excited. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) So you are getting world famous from your... (laughs) I don't know about world famous. (laughs) (laughs) Well, your project, Folded Map... It has really taken off. And I'm just curious, where did the project come from? Like, where did you, I just love person, like, did it start out as like a personal project and it grew? Like, where did Folded Map come from? Well, it came from how I like to describe Folded Map to people, especially before I made the Folded Map animated film, which was my literal response to being asked this very question, because I, I never thought about it being as like critical to my process and practice until people start asking. And then it was asked so much that I was like, maybe I need to create something to answer that question. But it really is like a multimedia project that encapsulates like my life. It, it's really my biography, <laughs> if oh. you will, my autobiography. Because it started as a seedling of an idea, not necessarily the the actual title of the project, but the concept of the project started when I was fairly young at the age of like 13, 14, when I was commuting from Inglewood 15 miles north to go to high school. And so that's when, you know, I was making my first daily commute out of Inglewood to other neighborhoods that I had not really seen before. And so 
what immediately stood out to me were the streets being named the same. And I had no idea until I became a commuting teenager that the streets that existed in Greater Inglewood went all the way to the north side, neighborhoods that looked very different. So literally at age 14, I was already like, oh my gosh, Ashland does not look like this in Inglewood. Walcott does not look like this in Inglewood. And, and the streets just went on and on. And so as I continued being in a very diverse high school in the 90s, I started to get to know other neighborhoods and all of these things together is what ultimately led me to like packaging that whole experience into the project that we would come to know as both of Okay. Because I would like when I ex- explain, I'm like, oh, so Tanika, she got these addresses. She took this map, folded it, and then put her pins and then photo- <laughs> and photographs the people that live on both these sides of this map. But it's so much more deeper than that because it's like from your childhood noticing. Yeah. And I would always joke because I went to a high school that was, one, it has the largest student body of all Chicago public schools. It has 4,000 students. So it's literally like a mini town. And it was very diverse. It had equal percentage of every race because in the 90s, schools could curate their racial demographic to reflect as close as possible to Chicago if they were a magnet school, because that was the goal, to explicitly create an environment that was reflective of Chicago. Now they can't do stuff like that because of a federal law that passed and you can't use race as a criteria, but that was how Chicago public schools that were magnet schools, like accepted kids from all over Chicago, that was one of the ways in which they explicitly disrupted segregation by making sure they had as much close to a percentage as possible that reflected the racial demographic of Chicago. So I was literally in a 4,000 student body high school where there was no cultural hierarchy of any race. So it wasn't like all the, the, the students of color felt like the white students' culture was dominant or Latino students' culture was dominant. It was like, there was no hierarchy. So we, we literally interacted with each other that way. You know, we all like embraced our very unique cultural differences and we were nosy about each other's neighborhoods. You know, like you find out somebody that you share an interest or passion with is from a neighborhood that you ain't never heard of. You're like, wait, so you look born where? Like, where? what y'all do over there? So, you know, in the 90s, especially when hip hop was like really vibrant in Chicago and it was a lot of local hip hop parties, that was, it was through our friendship that we got to know each other's neighborhoods. And so the idea of the map folding emerged out of my diverse high school experience because I was literally like, there's no way I would have gotten to know certain neighborhoods if it weren't for the friendships I developed in high school. And so that's when the conceptual construct of folding the map by having people meet each other was was born. So it, it just made sense to me as, as an artist how that could be used once I started being reinvested in my community as a, an adult, as a homeowner, as a new wife at the time, a new mom. So all of those experiences like funneled into what would become Folded Map. What high school was that? Lane Tech High School. I had a feeling you were going to say that. Do you think high schools should still like curate their students like that? Yeah, I think in Chicago, it definitely should. It, it definitely should, because the only way you can directly address segregation and racism is explicitly addressing it. And that was a way Chicago schools did it. And I thought it was useful because race and segregation was a problem. So you address it by explicitly including race. So I think we still should. I know schools like Lane Tech have figured out a way to kind of still do it without including race because we're so segregated 
You literally just go by the map. Sure. You can still address segregation, but they can't do it explicitly through the application. Like you have to know where people live now. You know, it's, it's just it's just different. Yeah. When I was in high school, I went to a predominantly white high school and they had PRISM, which was for anybody who wasn't white. And they had us do a talent show. And it was looking back pretty ridiculous because it would be like, oh, yeah, the Indian kids are going to dance now so that like now we can be cool with the Indian kids because we get to see them do like specific dance. (laughs) And it was like a way to be like, don't make fun of the minority students because this is the way this is their culture, you know? (laughs) Yeah, no, I feel you. I feel you. I mean, that was that was kind of how, especially as a teenager, you know, that's one of the ways in which you bonded with people who are who are different. You have no other reference point. You bond over like art and stuff teams connect on. Yeah. And, and music, dance is number one kind of at that time. Yeah. I remember this kid, Irvash. He was like the nerd of the school. But then when he danced in, 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 the, in his performance, everybody loved him. And it's like, everybody was like, go Irvash, go Irvash. Like, yeah, like, yeah. like he was doing the whole Indian dancing. It was perfect. It was beautiful. Oh my gosh. So, so then, okay. So with Folded Map, you know, you have these, these neighbors that are living basically on the same street, just on the North side and the South side. And you make them meet each other. Where, where did, I'm wondering because because Folded Map has brought itself into its own thing now. It's like it's basically like a Disney World. There's just so much that you could do. And so I wonder, like, it's funny you use that term because my graphic designer, Janelle Nelson, when she was creating the Folded Map website, she literally referred to it. That's kind of what you said. She's like, it's its own universe. Like it has so many offshoots that we want to create a website that can contain all of the spinoffs of Folded Map in its universe. So yeah. it is its own little world. There's Walt Disney and then there's Sneaka Lewis Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> there's going to be like a projector ride to like take people through. <laughs> <laughs> I could see that would it. Be so cool. Uh, okay. Yeah, no, that would be amazing. Could you imagine, like, you take the trolley right, like, through, like, these screens? It could be like interactive. That would be a lot of fun. Girl, let me tell you, I wanted a constant loop of scenes from Inglewood and its north side map twin neighborhoods. Just twenty four hour virtual loop, like not loop, but you know, just so people could see, like just like a virtual reality experience yeah it could be cool you know under like the viaducts like you can like be under there since it's like usually pretty dark all the time under a viaduct like so you can project we can like ride scooters ride scooters back and forth <laughs> and i want people to just like log in online to just be like looking just to see where people are. <laughs> but yeah so that was so that's not far fetched because yeah. I, I was already like, that would be so cool. Yeah. Yeah. So the so I guess I'm, I'm just curious, like what started first? Because I remember at first, like you had these pictures of these homes, right? Like north side and then the south side. And then the map twins started. But what what came first? The address pairs, the addresses that are the same, because I only the project started. Even though I had the idea of the map folding and touching through people meeting each other i was fine with excluding that when i originally started the project because i just didn't want to do it i just didn't want to facilitate people being involved and i didn't really actually want people involved i was like i'm a photographer i don't want to do an investigative report i don't want to talk to people i literally want the pictures to speak for themselves and I just solely focused on photographing addresses. And I thought a collection of addresses alone would prove my point, and that's it. But as I started photographing the houses, you know, started meeting people who were like, why are you with your map? <laughs> so that led to the first map win because Jennifer, who lived on the north side neighborhood of Edgewater, 
was one of those residents that came out like, hey, how are you doing? You know, what, what are you doing? Basically, <laughs> and I was like, well, I work on these projects. It's kind of weird, but da, 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 da. And I had asked if she ever been to Inglewood. And she said, actually, no, I haven't. She's like, and I never really thought about my address being on the South Side. And so I, I just, it just came out of my mouth. Just, would you like to meet somebody there other than me? And before I realized what I was saying, she was already answering, yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. So now this part of the project is happening. I have to make this happen. So once I paired her and her husband with another Inglewood resident and witnessed that conversation, I knew I had to do it again. It was just like the addresses were no longer enough. So Yeah. It's really beautiful to see the the twins because yeah, I, I just think you know, it's not that people maybe don't want to, it's just they don't think about it. Right? Yeah, and you know, they don't think about it and they don't know how. You know, like they and then they don't understand that them not even knowing how is also part of the psychological impact of segregation. Like we've normalized it so much that we don't even know how to make it as simple as it really is, which is get to know somebody from there. <laughs> you know, it you know, and there's lots of different ways you can get to know people from a neighborhood that you are not from or that's different than yours. It's just, it has to be top of mind to to make it of interest because sometimes people don't even realize they are meeting people from other neighborhoods that are different than their own because they, they make the assumption that people aren't. Like, I've met people before I became known as an artist from Inglewood. I would meet people all the time through work. And if I didn't explicitly say where I was from or grew up, it would never come up in conversation and you know if it did you know definitely because of what people have been told they would either be shocked I'm from Inglewood or they they wouldn't feel like it's some place they can be interested to come to you know and so all of those things kind of feed into how segregation psychologically impacts us and things we don't even think about you know and and so that's really also what I learned through the project yeah no that's that's really cool like I'm glad that that's happening and that it's giving people more you know just exposure to think like outside of themselves I remember there was this movie I don't remember the name of it but I saw it at Black Harvest and it was basically following this black family and at the end of the film there really was No, it's the film. I remember me and my girlfriends thinking like it was way different from what we thought because it just followed this family around. But it showed this baby shower. Right. And this this girl's baby shower. There was tons and tons of presents like she was racking up. And it was almost like if you've never seen a black family have a baby shower, maybe you wouldn't know that they would be getting like balling out on gifts. But because this but because this baby shower had tons of presents, you're like, oh, look. Black people have baby showers, too, and get an abundance of presents. And it's like, duh, you know, but. Exactly. Simple things like things people, all people do. You know, they don't. The world has been taught to not subscribe that to black people and especially black people in urban areas. So, yeah, it's a lot of psychological undoing we we have to do but we have to recognize that we've been programmed first (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah for sure so we both are photographers which is great how did you get into photography well it kind of starts with my father he is a committed amateur photographer he has no interest in becoming a more skilled photographer, a professional photographer. He's just always 
had a camera since I can remember. Like my childhood is so documented and exposed that it was easy for me to envision creating a folded map animation about how the project was created because I have so many photos from every part of my life because of my dad. So I was always aware of the process of documenting, like how irritating it is when you're a subject and having someone or a family member take pictures all the time. But then as I got old, I remember it changing to, oh, that that was kind of good that he did that because now I have all these memories. But I I remember hating, like he would irritate me, like, oh my God, why are you taking the picture? But then I grew to appreciate it. And then at the same time that I realized I had an appreciation for it, I was, you know, a young teenager, 13, 14, and I was already into the arts because, you know, the family I was raised by, my grandmother, my mom, and my two uncles who are like my brothers, we lived together. And they're all artists, you know, they're, they're painters. My grandmother was a singer and a painter. My mom was a writer, wrote poetry. My uncles were amazing painters. So I always, I I grew up in a house that really valued the arts. And it was just like, you, you learn very early on that you might be interested in art. So you better get started on figuring out what your medium is going to (laughs) be. So when I, when I realized that I was really interested in writing, I got in this writing program that like so popular now is called Young Chicago Authors. And so when I got involved, yeah, when I got involved in 1993, it had only been out for three years. And so they introduced, you know, it was a writing program where you scholarship money, but they also introduced you to other mediums and they offered a photography class and because my dad and his annoying, you know, uh, hobby, I was like, let me just, let me take a photography class. And after that, I was hooked. I just, I barely was writing poetry anymore. I was, I was like, I don't even care. I just want to take pictures all day, every day. <laughs> That's how I got started. That's amazing. Shout out to your dad. You know? I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I like hate to even give him that prop because he still to this day is very irritating. My grand, my my grandparents, his grandkids, my children. It's like I'm reliving their my annoyance through them because now they're like, you just always taking these pictures and you just leave them in your phone. Like, what do you even do? So he's he's definitely just he addicted to taking pictures. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love this so much because I'm addicted to taking pictures. Just always photographing something like, oh, one more time, one more time. Guys, guys, guys. Oh, my gosh. So, okay. So then, so this from a, your annoying father, got your, your words, not mine, your irritating father, to then you started, you started to get into photography and then you started freelancing and doing like photography assignments and stuff like that, right? Kind of, sort of. So once I got to college, well, in my junior, my in the summer going into my junior year in high school and in the summer going into my senior year in high school, I, I couldn't really decide, like, for college, if I should be majoring in journalism or photography. Because at the time, Columbia College didn't have a photojournalism program, you know, which is hard people to even imagine today, but, but they did it. And so it was a decision I was kind of like faced with like, okay, this is going to really determine like where my major studies are going to be. So I, in the summer, it's my junior year, yeah, I was involved in a journalism program that was created and sponsored by the National Association of Black Journalists, NABJ. And I met so many amazing photojournalists who were like working, staff, photographers, and, and my mentor was part of that. And so he advised me, he was like, you're a photographer already. He was like, you can just continue to take photos and build a portfolio. He was like, you don't need to like major in it. 
be like, I would suggest that you major in something you have to prove to people you can do that you'll use this college experience to prove. And so that's what he was like. Just major in journalism. He was like, you know, you could always show your portfolio to, to justify the eye that you have. He was like, but journalism is a different kind of craft that you're just going to get started doing. Because I hadn't really done journalism. I just like writing. So because of that, I was like, okay, that sounds logical. I'll just major in journalism and fill up all of my electives as photography. And so when I did that, I learned about how my photography, my my interest in street photography, my interest in documenting the neighborhoods that I hung out in in my own, I quickly understood that my work was not perceived as fine art. So I was always kind of encouraged to go into photojournalism and to pursue it as a possible career path based off of what I like to document. So while my other classmates were being talked to about art and them going for MFA, I was kind of encouraged to be a staff photojournalist. So because of that, I really like studied it and was like, okay, so as a career path, what does that include? That means that I have to like take photos of certain kinds of stories if I'm an entry-level staff photojournalist. Once it became apparent to me that I will possibly be taking photos of crime stories that could basically end up in my own neighborhood. I was like, I don't want to do that. I was like, I, I don't, I don't want to be a staff photographer. If, if this, if I'm going to have to get these kind of stories to prove myself before I get assigned to other stuff, I'm just like, so I kind of relegated it to being a hobby, and so I just. I kept my photography as just a hobby. And I would occasionally do freelance stuff if it, if it felt like it was aligned with what I already was interested in photographing. So sometimes that would be an occasional story from some of my friends who had connections in the media and was like, oh, you might like this story. But mostly it was me just documenting my friends who are artists. That's kind of how I maintained my interest in like naturalistic photography and keeping up with, you know, the mechanics of my camera and adjusting it to light. I really used my friends who were performers as, as practice. And then for like five, six years in my 20s, after I graduated, I, I wasn't doing photography at all. I stopped because that's when digital photography was becoming more accessible and less expensive. And I was transitioning from like, okay, should I invest in a digital camera? Because all of my, my cameras were filmed. And I was just like, oh, I'm going to have to get a computer to go with. So I just was really confused on the transition. And so I had just stopped taking photos for a while. And then when I started again, it was back to taking photos of my friends and maybe doing a occasional wedding. And then I realized that I didn't even like that. <laughs> yeah, okay. I hate weddings. Oh, my God. So I was like, okay, what? Well, how am I going to use my photography? So I just didn't even think about it anymore. I just continued to document my neighborhood. I had started doing community work, but it really didn't feel like community work. I just literally felt like I was living in my neighborhood that I grew up in as an adult. And I wanted to be around people who cared about the neighborhood and, and the events they were throwing. So I just started taking photos of that. So I didn't really do the like traditional go to college for photography, then become a staff photographer or, or just pursue a freelance career. I just really kind of did the opposite. Just sort of photographing what you want and what what resonates and going from there. Yeah, no, that that's cool. I remember I was talking to a crime crime photographer and it was so crazy because like as I freelance, like, you know, one of my gigs is freelancing in the film business. And so I feel like you could say, oh, yeah, I'm working on like Batman. I'm going to this Tyler Perry film. And that's how that guy talked about the crimes he was shooting. He's like, 
he's like, oh yeah, there's that wreckage in like Michigan. And then I got to run up North because of this thing. And it was just like, so like he had just been in it for so long. It was just so casual to him. And it was like, as you were speaking that I was like thinking back about that, that's just so disturbing. Like how that guy, I mean, he's just in it, you know, you can't even like desensitize. Exactly. Because my thing was, it's like, all right, so you come from being a photographer and now, you know, folded map has, you know, like I said, become Disney world. And it's like, you're like this full, full fledged, like 501 C3 owner. <laughs> and just like handling this big thing going on. And I guess I, I'm, I'm really curious about like, are you doing this whole thing by yourself? Oh my God. No, it totally takes the village. However, the majority of the initial building up to folded map becoming a nonprofit was all me. And, you know, I had just gotten to a point where I was like, I can't handle all of this. Like I, I need some help. And so that's when I really started allowing people who were passionate about or expressed, you know, shared passion about folded map like reaching out to them to help do certain things. And one of the first people who I like went into partnership with, if you will, is Dr. Professor Maria Creason. She's a sociologist and, and co-author of a book called Cycle of Segregation. And her and I became fast friends because the Tribune did a story about Folded Map and they wanted to get, you know, the academic perspective. And they told her about the project and she, that was her first time hearing about it. She was like, wait, what? This is a what? So we, she reached out to me and told me she appreciated the project. And if I needed any help with anything, let her know. And so once it got to a point that I was like, I can't manage all of this. I do need help. I reached out to her and she's been like my little folded map partner, ride or die ever since. And then also my friend and architect, urban planner, Paola Aguirre, she was the one that did the large scale map installation for Folded Map's original exhibition. And it was the same thing with her. Like, as I started getting requests for different kind of engagement using the map and the concept of Folded Map questions for the different workshops, I knew I was like, I don't know how to envision certain things on my own and I, I need help with creating these tools and Paola offered her you know brilliant and and she's been my partner ever since so anything that deals with folded map and the use of the the mobile Chicago map installation she's a part of helping me think through that experience so all of those things I am definitely not doing alone and of course my Dear friend, Janelle Nelson, who's like the graphic designer. And I, I call her like folded map branding manager because I knew that what I needed to create this home, virtual home for folded map, but I knew I couldn't do it by myself. Yeah. So I reached out to her and she lended her brilliance to, to create the website and folded map logos and like ideas that I have, not only the action kit, but brochures or or whatever, and, and she creates the assets for it. So those are the ways in which I like slowly built up what I would call like a folded map team. And after doing enough of that and realizing that institutions and, and foundations were interested in folded map, that's when I started to get advice of becoming a nonprofit. And it was Definitely something I wasn't thinking about, but because of the people that I work with or that have, you know, lended their brilliance to the expansion of the project, you know, once you have smart people telling you, you know, you do probably should do this in order to continue doing what you're already doing, quote unquote, for free and you trying to figure out ways to fund it. Like all your work is for public education and engagement and there's foundations that support that. So formalize into a nonprofit, you know? And so it just made sense because I was like, then I don't have to ask the people who are like lending their brilliance to Folded Map. I don't have to just ask them to do it 
as a favor or, you know, off of the strength of our relationship, I, I could then start to pay them <laughs> for their contributions. So it was just a natural progression. But yeah, the initial heavy lifting of getting Folded Map out there, doing presentation, that that was all me. And then it just got to a point where I was like, I can't, I can't keep and maintain this level of engagement without help. Yeah, because it's a highly engaged project. And I'm like, wow, so good for you for knowing to like <laughs> seek help and be watching it. Yeah. Hell no. It's a lot. <laughs> you mentioned the Folded Map Action Kit. Can you explain that? What that is? Yeah. So the Action Kit was literally an idea I came up with with Dr. Creason once I told her that folded map contact list that I started in 2018 when it was originally exhibited had grown to like 600 people and all of them wanted to be map twins. And I was like, there is no way I'm going to be doing this forever. Like I cannot pair people together. I was like, I want to think of a way to engage all of these people who want to be a map twin, but in a way that they could do it themselves. And so after me really thinking about what they said on the contact list, because all of them left such nice, thoughtful comments, you know, like usually when you create a form for people to sign up for contact list, you know, you know, people might not leave like a comment as to why they are signing up. But to date, all of the 800 people who signed up, all of them left comments. And after reading their comments, I was like, nah, I really got to activate this group with something. And so that's when I started to work on the Folded Map Action Kit, which is literally a self-guided way for people to discover what their map twin neighborhood is and then to literally experience it as close as possible to that of a resident, which is by running errands in your map twin neighborhood. Because a lot of the things I feel like we do, if you are a person who travels or travels out the country, people know that you want to be with a local that. That's like what everybody like formulates their out of country experience by. You want to you wanna be very aware when you're doing tourist stuff, but then you also want to experience it like locals. And I just was like, why don't we apply that to our own city? You know, and then you can really understand without people having to force reports down your throat. You can understand what disparity looks like. If you go to a grocery store in a different neighborhood, if you go to a local library in a different neighborhood or a local park, you'll see, yeah, this is what this is what people are talking about. They're not getting the same resources. It has nothing to do with crime or violence. It's literally the allocation of resources. So the folded map action kits includes errands like go buy organic apple, go buy lotion, see how different that experience is, <laughs> go to a post office, go take out $20 at an ATM. So just a list of very short errands for people to run in their map to neighborhood and then share back the experience. So that's literally what the action kit is. And who are they sharing the experience back with? To you or are they picking somebody? Yes. So it's a way on the Photomath website for them to, for them to share back their reflections on the Photomath website. And I am just, you know, collecting all of that information until it can formalize into you know, maybe it's own separate thing that I want to share back. But right now we're just trying to activate people to actually do the action kit so that it can add up to a significant amount of responses. Yeah, that sounds like that sounds like fun versus being like, oh, let me just knock on this person's door and be like, do you know Tanika's project? Would you like to come outside and talk to me? <laughs> exactly. exactly. But yeah, like looking but for I mean, specific things about postcards, too. Yeah. Postcards be cool. Yeah, like giving people, pairing them together from the folded map contact list and giving them postcards to send to each other. I was thinking about that too. That'd be sweet. Can you imagine somebody's going to meet their husband with this project? 
(laughs) We shall see. We shall. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So, wait, speaking of husbands, I'm curious, since you are basically, I keep bringing up Walt Disney because I'm trying to think of who else? I guess like American Girl, right? Because of how big that project has gotten, like the American Girl doll oh, would exploded. Yeah. I'm just curious. So, like, are you dating anyone? Are you single? Like, what kind of guys do you like? <laughs> and I'm going to tell you uh, why, only because Tanika. And you know, this is really interesting because you guys probably have seen Tanika, but she is beautiful, and you'll see her like on you know, pictures with me promoting the show. And when I was an undergrad, me and my best friend Logo would always be like, we always want people to talk about our art and also be like, and then also, she's not only doing this project, but did you see her dress? She's stunning or she's beautiful. I had dinner with her, you know? So (laughs) we would always talk like that. And so I'm like, Tanika's super fly. And then, you know, you'll hear, like I hear people talk about folded map and they'll say that about you. They'll be like, yeah. And then do you know Tanika? Oh yeah, she's really beautiful, right? She's she's a photographer. Oh she's really beautiful. She's a photographer, right? Like, oh yeah, and this like, oh, she has great hair, right? Like, I always hear men say this types of thing and women. And so I'm just like, hmm, who is Tanika dating anybody? Like, or what kind of guys is Tanika like? Because I feel like you always hear people doing these great projects, right? And like even on your site, like on Instagram, Instagram is where you'll go to like get the dirt, right? You'll be like, I'm gonna find out, you know, and see, but then if you don't post that stuff, I know I don't post that kind of stuff. You just never know. And so I'm like, oh, I'm curious, like these dudes that are saying stuff, like, do they even have a chance? Like, what kind of guys do you like? Yeah, no, I'm single. And, you know, so far as the kind of guys that I like, I don't really think of men. I don't generalize them enough to come up with an answer specific to the kind of men that I like. So really there's certain characteristics that I like and prefer in people, you know, that I want to be close to. So some of those characteristics include, you know, obviously having some shared passion, whether it's arts or intellectual curiosity, you know, people who are funny, people who are you know, curious and open, you know. So those are traits that I would apply to just friendships. So obviously anybody, you know, I would be interested in, I would want them to like line up with <laughs> with those characteristics that I would want in a friendship as well. Then, you know, there's the wild card of attraction, you know, so that is what will be the determining factor in me seeing characteristics of in a man that are reflective of friendships that I enjoy. Me ultimately, if I'm attracted to them or not, which I don't have like a criteria of what I'm attracted to because it changes based off of like the person or the chemistry. So yeah, that's, that's, that's the wild card. Like, you know, you go through life figuring, thinking you might be attracted to one thing and then you meet somebody who is completely different than that. And you're like, oh, well, let me expand what I'm attracted to because if this person is revealed to me that I don't mind this or I don't mind that. So, you know, I'm just at the point in life where I, I can't like categorize like that. I can't say, well, this is what I like. It's what I'm attracted to because it's, it just depends on when you meet a person that falls in line with all of the characteristics you like about just people in general. And then if you have a special added attraction or chemistry, you know, then it could be something else. So so I just I just need that variable. Yeah. Have you ever had like anybody through this project or any of your, you know, photography things like try to get at you like through maybe through specifically folded map <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah in very strange and interesting way but you know i i usually always deflected me because it just don't have no attraction or chemistry so i'm yeah. like oh, yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> maybe every blue moon every blue moon someone might you know, a guy might 
be introduced to me through my work in that way. And it was like, oh, okay, they nice, you know, but that that definitely did not happen often at all. Yeah. <laughs> I just wonder if anybody'd be so intimidated because you're like doing this this probably is just so big, you know, and I was just like, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I guess we don't know because they're not saying know. nothing. They're not saying nothing. Right. You know, I, I'll <laughs> occasional slides in the DM hey. complimenting. Uh-huh. But very rarely does it actually materialize into somebody asking, can they go out? And then on the few occasions that it's happened, I just wasn't interested in them. So it's just like, no, thanks, though. Yeah. Well, the streets are watching. Okay. I know that for a fact. <laughs> I know that for a fact. Well, <laughs> pre-folded map, my Instagram page was my personal, you know, page that I shared all of those things. But, you know, it hit a certain turning point and I realized, oh, my social media is another platform for me to really engage with people I probably wouldn't otherwise. So I kind of stopped being extra personal on my Instagram page. And I might, you know, sprinkle a little something in the Instagram stories. But right. so far in my page, it's just become a landing ground for folded map in, in my work because it's just a good synopsis of, of what I've done. So for people who are interested in me and my work, they can definitely go to my Instagram and, and get caught up. Whereas, you know, personally, no, you probably won't find out much about me personally on my Instagram. Yeah. Unless yeah. you're stalking my Instagram story. Because I might, you know, put some personal stuff there every once in a while. A little, a little razzle-dazzle here and there. A little sprinkle. Well, when they were making those walnut tacos, I think it was, right? The vegan tacos. <laughs> I'm still into oh, it yeah. to try those. But I was like, oh, my God, it looks so good. You were like, you know, damn well, they don't taste like chicken tacos. <laughs> All right. Like, oh, so whatever. Cool. Expect that. Yeah, but it but like it looks good, so good. Okay. Yeah, I don't <laughs> oh, want to like you. jump. I'm yes to try, but I'll get there. I'll get there. Yeah. No. All I've done is try, it, and I use it occasionally if I want to take a little break, but from me. But no, it, it's yeah. That that was. I feel like we were all in the early part of pandemic cooking and sharing. So <laughs> I didn't even really feel like it was personal. I felt like it was. It's what we doing now. We all cooking. Yeah. <laughs> like, let me be a part of the community and share. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's all that I was curious about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, my gosh. Let me ask you. Yeah. So out of all of, the, all of what you've heard from the streets talking, have you ever ran across anybody who's like, oh, I think she actually, y'all might actually work. Y'all might actually, you should ask her out. Have you actually had any of that happen since, since you say? Yes, I actually have. I've been like, well, have you thought to ask her? And then people just like, no, no, no. And then it makes me think like, well then, and, th and that's how I'm like, well then be quiet. You know, like don't say anything <laughs> if you're not gonna do anything. But then it's like, you know, I don't know, man. I feel like, and that's why I think I was curious about the intimidation thing because I feel like if you other artists sometimes like if you're doing this thing, this project, right, where it's taken off and has this notoriety and then if they're still doing something and maybe it has it, but it could be something different. Like there's this like intimidation factor. So I think I don't even know what I'm trying to say, but I think I'll be able to keep my eye out, my eyes more open. I think people that I have thought about like, oh, that actually could be interesting. They've been in relationships. You know, so they're like, oh, yeah, she's like beautiful. That's such a smart project and stuff like that. I'm like, well, but then, you know, they're they have like a relationship or like they're yeah, they're like partnered up. So it's like they're just more so complimentary and just like thinking about like how great you are more so than moving forward. But I will keep my eyes open now because I have a really good match. I will move forward. I will move forward. I'm like, I'm just curious. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Because it's one of those curious. things where it's like, well, dang, if y'all saying so much, then just say something then. She right there. You know, stuff like that. So you know how people are. You know how people are. And sometimes, you know, in public settings, you know, I'm personable, but you know, I I I can be standoffish. So, you know, maybe I've deterred some some folks. No. 
Hey, talking to people, it, it is sort of intimidating though. It's like, you just never know. I remember a guy tried to talk to me at Applebee's, like he was the host and I was there with my cousin and her friend. And I sat on the same side as her, her guy friend. I was like, that was a really bold thing for him to walk up to me with the him sitting next to me and be like, oh, hey, because it could have went anyway. Like he didn't care. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. But then I'm like, so people need like that type of confidence, you know, like the Applebee's hostess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They need the Applebee hostess confidence. Yeah. Yes. No, that's true. Yeah. That's true. Because you never know. You never know. Yeah. You never know. But, you know, and the pandemic is hard. So hopefully we can get back to socializing soon and being out and about and we'll see. But yeah, I'm always curious. And I feel like I've been interested in that kind of stuff. I remember I watched a documentary with Serena Williams and they were talking about this is way before she got married and stuff now, but they were talking about like, oh, you know, when you're doing all this great stuff, you know, who do you date? You know, who she's supposed to be with, you know? And so they sort of like delved into a little bit of like personal relationships. And I feel like you know, we might not be Serena Williams, but I feel like it's still on that same type of level in a way, like where you can meet somebody where it's not intimidated. I feel like the only time it happens is if, you know, you're dating like the plumber or the garbage man. It's like, oh, yeah, my girl, she does her project with her friends. They all do artsy stuff. Whatever. She go right, at me right. at the gallery that tonight. That's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> it has to be like totally I know, opposite. I remember being... Exactly. I remember being really interested in like the personal dating life of like Tony Morrison and Maya Angelou and all of that. I was just like, why won't they write a book about that part? Because I'm so curious. Just like, what was that like for them? Like, because I just want to know enough about amazing Black women thinkers and creative in their personal life to kind of know what they had to navigate and sacrifice and, and how all that adds up to the partners they selected or ended up not being with. Like, I'm just so curious that I often wish, like, the same way you ask in me, I wish people did that with them. And if they did, like, where is that? Yeah, where is it? I want, sure. I want to read it. Yeah, for sure. Maybe it's it's a joint project. We should be like, who's still around? We could quickly ask these questions too, because I know, like Felicia Rashad. I remember finding out that her and Ahmad Rashad were married, and I was like, they were. And then I remember finding out they were divorced, and I was like, they were. And I was just so curious because that couple to me, like, it was surprising, but it made sense. And I was like, that is so cute. And then I found out they got a divorce, and I was like man, I want to know like how and what happened and da, 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 da. But yeah, no, it definitely is a side of, of people, especially Black artists, creatives, the ones that are not celebrities in that sense that that's really interesting, you know, and it could be informative if we like cared enough to find out. Yeah, I, I care because, you know, you just get in these different relationship situations. You're like, I wonder, now you have me thinking like, I wonder how, you know, Toni Morrison handled this or whatever but. yeah like or were they like or were they like bashing crazy in relationships you know i just really want to know like how yeah or were they too busy of, of yeah. yeah yeah you know i do have one more question so what folded map like what is the thing you want you know viewers to take away from this from the experience to take away like the curiosity about not only the project but be curious enough to have it guide you to other questions. You know, like I believe that Folded Map is a perfect launch pad for wherever you're entering this conversation. It can be a doorway into understanding more or seeing what you already know from a different perspective. And so I really just want people to have a curiosity, like about the project enough to like, let me just Google a little bit, find out about it, because it's that curiosity that demonstrates itself in being curious about the project that actually what I have realized that aside a certain type of person, like if you're curious enough about folded map as just an art project, you're already to be on the side of good. 
because you know you might create it at a different level of understanding experience, but curiosity is it's how I gauge the possibility of you expanding your perspective even more. And if you are a curious person, you know, it can guide you to discover what you need to know to become a better person, you know? And I just feel like if you're a person who hears us talking and you're curious about the project, that that's a good trait and characteristic that's necessary in the justice movement and like redressing a lot of systemic racism that we're talking about now. Because if you're curious, that means you're reflecting. That means it's personal to you. And I think that's the ingredient that has been missing on a wide scale for most recent movements about, about equity. Like we just, when we hear about unfair practices, discriminatory, this or that, we only think about who's impacted negatively. We don't think that there's a flip side. Like you may not be impacted by this to the same understanding as negatively, but you are still impacted because your social network, your lived experience was curated by racism and segregation and it's preventing you from having a much more richer and fuller life by excluding people that you would probably enjoy knowing. And so a lot of people don't think about the social capital that is lost because of segregation, you know? And I just think that if you're curious, that's a good sign. So that's just what I want people to take away from our conversation, just being curious, being curious, which is why I love the arts, you know, which is why I love art general, because that's something that we share. It doesn't matter where you're from, how different your lived experience are, even if you have opposing views, artists generally have that commonality of inquisitiveness. We just be so nosy, whether it's about our medium, whether it's about our craft, whether it's about another artist who we respect. We just really want to know because we know the value of that information. And Long answer, but yes. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. And even made me think like just even with the with the action kit, it's like it's nice. You know, it's also something that's nice to it, knowing that like you're along with them. Right. Because maybe if they were to do this on their own, it could be weird. But then if, you know, you're you you're next to them as they're doing this, it could be like, well, you know, I'm part of this Folger map action kit. So that's why I'm doing it, you know, and it just is like helps with the barrier it brings it brings down like the awkwardness that people might have because it is a bold thing to you know go into like something new or talk right we just talked about people that's not trying to holler at you at events you know maybe if they have to brand an action they need an action kit oh my god i'm so new to doctor action kit yeah that's <laughs> There's some look and then the Eric, it could be like a list of stuff that's that you like, right? It could be like, where's your favorite perfume? Gotcha. Oh, compliment. That always works. Hey, 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 hey. Did you send her a compliment? Check. That will go off to get her favorite drink. No. Her favorite perfume. Oh my god. Well, before we call this complete, can you maybe just in your own words, tell us where we could find more information about you. Yeah. You can always go to my Instagram, which my handle is Tonika J. I live on Instagram. I'm on Facebook, not as active, but I'm on Facebook as Tonika Lewis Johnson. And then also you can go to my artist website, which is tonikaj.com. It has information about all of my projects as well as links. And then there's Folded Map website photomapproject.com so you can go and watch the hour-long map twin video what i like to jokingly refer to is social justice reality tv because it's very interesting to watch people get uncomfortable and answer questions so you could do you could go to photomap website and watch that but otherwise i am most accessible on instagram cool well thanks so much for being a part of this conversation with me 
I really appreciate it. Thanks for inviting me. This was so fun. Thank you so much for tuning into the Nosy AF podcast with me, your host, your friend, Stephanie Graham. I'm so glad that you made it to the end of this conversation. Please kindly let me know what you thought by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you're listening right now. You can also connect with me at nosyaf.com via the Say Hello button. And if you're curious about what's going on in my art and film life, please visit my website at missgram.com. Oh, and also, if there is someone that you're nosy about and you want me to have them on the show, please send suggestions via the same hello button and I will check them out. Until next time, thank you so much for being you and see you soon. Peace.